0: Welcome back to another week of Sports and Society. Kyle and I are coming to you on February 24th. This is Brad, and how are you doing today, Kyle? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to
1: talking some golf today, and I'm sure it's going to lead into other stuff, but yeah, looking forward to it.
0: It's always so strange that uh, you and I, these bleeding heart lefties in some ways, enjoy golf so much. It's a weird, weird thing in some ways. Indeed, and I thought we would talk about this when we got into it, but I'll go ahead and mention
1: it now. But the article we're talking about this week uh, mentioned that the average golf fan is 55, (laughs) to which I got a pretty good laugh at it. I'm like, oh man, (laughs) the amount of times I end up around 55-year-old white people in my daily life is pretty significant, and I just have to accept that.
0: Well, I think it probably speaks to in some level for me, uh, and I think for you as well, the fact that we perhaps have old souls, and so the idea of just watching something that's as slow as golf maybe appeals to us more than someone who has a little bit more energy and is a little bit younger. But indeed, well, I want to unpack that more, so I might
1: say let's set that aside and yes, see if absolutely. we can see if we get back to that. But well, tell me uh, what's uh,
0: tell me what's made, been compelling for you this past week. So I
1: was struck by the fact that I set aside time to watch the Liverpool-Bayern Munich match, and then I also set aside time to watch the Liverpool-Man United match because I find Liverpool so exciting to watch right now. And both games were goalless and just not that exciting. And I, I was compelled by the fact that I did that in the first place, that I took that time out and set a time that set aside that time but i was also struck by just how boring the games were ultimately um i can't say that fully i mean i enjoyed watching both games but it was one of those things of what was enjoyable was to watch the defense mm-hmm. and that's not as exciting as watching really cool goals i suppose
0: no it's not <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, it's but, still i mean like uh, you know, Allison made a save in that Liverpool-Main United game. It was just breathtaking. Um, and unfortunately, Lingard got injured as a result of it. But you just felt sure there was a goal coming and then there's not. And that, that, was, a, that was a moment of genius that we should all recognize on some level. Right. Um, and, and Liverpool,
1: too, right? They had those games leading up to it where they were just scoring like four and five and then four and then three and then four. And it was like, and every goal was incredible, it felt like. So I was like, Oh, this is two big games, this'll be a blast to watch both of these and then they were both kind of duds.
0: I will say that I so I watched um I watched the Man U Liverpool game today and I also earlier this week watched the um Juventus Atletico game, which was a fascinating game and man, I would love to watch a game from atletico Stadium. Yeah. Um, but you talk about a solid defense. I, you know, that man you Liverpool game today. I felt like it was just kind of sloppy. I felt like Juventus played pretty well, but Godin was is just a master of how to read and snuff out attacks. It's he for me is just a, a defender I would love to keep watching.
1: That's a tough team to defend against too. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, but. Interesting. What about you? What got your attention this week? Uh, well, so uh, this time of year, because I'm a UVA fan, I spent a lot of time in the college basketball world, and it was a particularly compelling week there for me, A, with the Zion situation where he blows out his shoe um, and all of a sudden it leads to all these debates about how he should shut it down, which I find just ridiculous on some level because, A, the kid should do whatever he wants to do. right? Um, but also... um Man, there's every chance you're going to blow out your knee every single time you play basketball. Um, right. And so just, you know, it's not like he's going to stop playing basketball. He can do it in practice. Um, right. So it's kind of just, I find it a little bit of a ridiculous argument, although I get it. Uh, and what the argument that really struck me was just how this has shamed the NCAA and really should get to a point where this kid's at least making something off of what he's doing right now. I mean, the amount of money... Duke is making off of it is unconscionable on some level right right. Um, but then on top of that uh, which would have been enough to be a really compelling week in the college basketball world you had um, I think it was seven Ole Miss players who took a knee on the court yesterday in response to some confederate protests that happened on their campus Um, and uh, that's just a really interesting phenomenon and the coach Uh, Kermit, uh, who uh, is not known for being the most forward-thinking person in the world, supported them on that, uh, even if he was a little bit uh, outside the point on things. Uh, It was interesting, and apparently the university is standing fully behind them in that action, which um, I'm just thankful to see that, but also it's an interesting phenomenon uh, that we continue to see popping up.
1: Wow, I missed that story completely. I haven't caught up on this at all, but
0: yeah. Well, just to think about these guys that are playing um, for a school who's the rebels anyway, that's, a, that's some weird connotations that are going on with that whole situation.
1: Yes. And it's not like Ole Miss for Ole Miss. This is a news story. Uh, I suppose what sounds new, though, is that uh, there was a really significant standout action by the players. It sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I with uh, I thought you were going to bring up Zion Shu. and I think there are many things we could. I mean, we could spend the whole cast talking about it. It's such a significant issue in some ways, but then also maybe not that significant in other ways. But nonetheless, I found it to be fascinating to think about the kind of Shakespearean. Or just in general, dramatic nature of the fact that it hinged on a Nike shoe. <laughs> it's like it's like so easy to get lost in the significance of that, and probably make something out of something that's not that big a deal. And it sounds like he's gonna be okay. Um, But yeah, nonetheless, telling a kid that he can't play basketball anymore, that he shouldn't play basketball anymore seems pretty absurd. But I appreciated all the NBA player responses. I felt like all of them were like, why are you even asking me that question, you idiot? Like the only people that would tell him what to do are pundits like Stephen A. Smith that live off clickbait. All the other players were like, he can do whatever he wants. It's his life.
0: Yeah, it's it's I find the story so compelling perhaps because of the layers to it. So there's the whole like NCAA layer to it. There's the whole like game layer to it where UNC came out and just destroyed yep. Duke the rest of the game and then there's also the shoe culture layer to it. And so it's hilarious to me to hear Nike saying, you know, we're going to investigate what could have happened here. I'm like, I can tell you what happened. Like this once in a lifetime athlete put so much force on your shoe that was not designed to handle it because right. we've never seen anybody that can do what he can do. Right. Like, there's nothing wrong with the shoe. It's just, you know. Yeah, that
1: that's also a fascinating element, isn't it? Is that like the pure athleticism of Zion Williamson yeah. is the
0: culprit here.
1: Which is fascinating.
0: Oh my well, we could go on and on, but let's get into our story for this week.
1: Right. So we're doing an article with the title, 50 Seconds for a One-Foot One, put, one foot Putt is Slow Play Killing Golf. And it's by Anya Alvarez, who's actually a former player. But do you want to talk a little bit about what's in the article?
0: Yeah. So first off, we should say that we probably won't do Guardian articles every week, but, uh, we do lean left and that's a great news source. So, <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, um, but yeah, also before we get too deep into it, wanted to give a big shout out to, um, Anya Alvarez for an article she wrote on Derek Rose about how he didn't overcome his rape allegations. Um, so just if it was back in November, highly encourage anybody who's not ready to check out that article, but, um, This one kind of came about uh, as J.B. Holmes, who's uh, one of the top golfers out there, um, won a tournament in which he took, um, I think it was something like three minutes to do a 50-foot putt and then 50 more seconds to do a one-foot putt afterwards, at which case the players kind of went into an uproar. Most fans were not pleased with it, and yet there was no penalty uh, put upon him, even though um, there are clear guidelines that would allow the PGA tour to put a penalty on him. Um, and so they're playing, you know, five and a half round, uh, five and a half hour rounds, which is 60 minutes beyond suggested pace of play. And so the article goes to break down how this is not an isolated situation. And yet there's almost no repercussions to it. And yet, um, It continues to be a drain on the sport, as uh, Kyle mentioned earlier. It's an old audience for the sport, and so there's a big concern that without speeding things up, you're going to lose the capacity to bring in new folks. So very similar to baseball in some ways, except golf seems even more recalcitrant in their attempt to avoid trying to deal with it. Um, So all this raises interesting questions in my mind about money, about what the role of sports in as an entertainment industry is and all kinds of other things. But what uh, what kind of stuck out to you, Kyle?
1: I agree. I have all questions that are certainly about what makes sports compelling in the first place, like at the super zoomed out level. But then like you, I think it's fascinating to think that, that why this is an issue or the reason it becomes an issue is when the fans stop watching and why that is an issue is because it costs sponsorship money. And I guess, you know, one of my early questions is, does the PGA Tour truly care about this? Mm-hmm. And or does NBC or Golf Channel or Fox, whoever is hosting a golf tournament, really care about this? And I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. i I feel like whenever this issue comes up, the PGA Tour says something very middle-of-the-road, pretty boring in response, of like, yeah, speed of play is important and it's something we take into consideration, but I feel like the only people I ever really hear upset about this with any power are a handful of players, but I also don't think it's ubiquitous amongst the PGA Tour of players to speak out about this. that, I can only cite... A handful of examples of where i've heard players really speak out adamantly about this but i feel like a lot of the other ones just kind of say mum on it and so i think my initial question is do, do the sponsors truly care do the networks truly care does the pga truly care because i don't see much evidence that they do so i wonder if this is even a problem in their line of sight
0: well yeah and that makes me wonder um you know there's some numbers down here at the end of this article about the age range of the spons- of the people that are watching but there's not data and I'd be intrigued to know about broader data about who um how many people are watching and so are we getting to a point where um they don't worry about sponsorship because they their numbers are steady and so even though it's not growing it's a steady viewership whereas maybe baseball worried because their numbers were dropping. Um, and so I just don't know. And there's also an element of, you know, all of these advertisers look for return on investment. And so it is a very unique audience that you're reaching through golf that would perhaps be impossible to reach through other avenues. And so is it may be a matter of that's just the way your advertisers are always going to be there because there's nowhere else they can go to reach those older people with money that want luxury goods type things. Um, I don't know.
1: Oh. Yeah, return on investment seems really pertinent here. I can imagine that the because the average age is over fifty-five, and I'm pretty confident in saying it's an audience of means. If you're watching golf, it's probably because you play golf to some extent. For the most like, for the average viewer, and if you play golf, you're probably pretty wealthy and. are are capable of affording a lot of those absurd things that are advertised during a golf tournament. So I think return on investment is probably uh, an important piece here. And the other thing is I just – I am ignorant of so much of the marketing of sports and how it all truly plays out uh, at a business level. But is it not true that a longer broadcast (laughs) just brings in more money? Uh, I, to some extent, especially if you're thinking about it through the lens of return on investment, it's just mm-hmm. more time of those wealthy eyes on the television. I, I don't know. So there's part of me that wonders if the PJ Tour behind the scenes is like, I wish these players would shut up about Pace of Play because it's making all of us more money, actually.
0: That's a really interesting question and a good point. And I do wonder, too, I mean, it, there's an element of drama to it. So when J.B. Holmes is taking you know 90 or 50 seconds over this one foot putt like how are the how is the tv channel allowed to ramp things up and make us interested in that comment i mean i compare it to you know uh, lsu played um, tennessee yesterday and the end of the game was just ruined because the refs kept going to check every single freaking call um and the announcers were calling them out on like hey this is ridiculous um And I don't, there's no, none of that calling out happening by the announcers on golf, on these golf broadcasts. And so I'm wondering if that's uh, playing into it too, is that the announcers haven't brought that into the public will. Like there's no Jay Billis of golf that's saying, hey, this is ridiculous that they're acting this way.
1: That's a great point. There are so few disruptors in the world of golf commentating, and I I think Johnny Miller was to some extent, but not in the way that you and I would approve of. But he, he didn't fit the mold. But someone like Jim Nance is, I, I have never heard him say a negative thing about one golfer ever, or about the PGA Tour, or about a sponsor, or about a golf course. I mean, nothing comes across as critical in any way. And it also makes me think about, and this is kind of getting into the minutia of it, but I think Nick Faldo is phenomenal actually Hmm. i think he is a really really good commentator and i also think he's just pleasant to listen to and so i wonder what role he has to play in this which like i said is a small issue but because i think he's so good at it and because also with jim nance i think he has a role to play here in that he's so well known and people seem to like him so much and he is the voice of golf in america and people seem to love him especially that age range that we're talking about
0: that's a great point I think golf is particularly good I mean I know you listen to your sports on mute most of the time but I find golf commentators to be among the best of all the commentators in terms of their just being pleasant to listen to and so maybe there's an element of that too that takes away some of the urgency because you know you're listening to Nota Begay or Nick Faldo or somebody else who's just got a pleasant voice and they're talking calmly and quietly about something, it's not the same frustration that you might feel if there was some uh, anxiety built up in you about having this happen quickly. Indeed. One of my absolute favorite things
1: to listen to is BBC golf commentating. It's so pleasant. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: I do think it, there's a fascinating conundrum here in terms of the... Like, if we look at the reason that J.B. Holmes is taking all this time and Jordan Spieth, same way, is taking all this time is because there's massive amounts at stake here now. Like yeah. In this, in a way that there wasn't 20 years in oil golf, the number of, amount of money you stand to lose on a missed putt is so much more. Uh, yeah. And so you've got this thing where now the there's more money in golf, and so it's slowing the game down. But there's a risk if the game slows too much that you lose some of the money that's involved in it and it's a like the money is to blame for that it's i just find it a fascinating um little juxtaposition of the two
1: yeah indeed and that's where i can have a little bit of empathy and sympathy for the players that are playing slow and so i would just say that very personally i find slow play abhorrent and extremely annoying uh, i can bear. I can't bear to watch Bryson right now. Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Cantlay is awful. J.B. Holmes is really hard to watch. Although I don't think he's as bad as the the latter, but or the former. But I I don't know. I just have a little bit of space to say, gosh, that's a one point three million dollar putt that he's standing over. Mm-hmm. And so what is what is fifty seconds uh, to me if. Uh, JB Holmes is looking to get 1.3 million dollar paycheck, but not only that, that paycheck and that win, more than the paycheck is what's significant. Is that it gives him rights to so many other tournaments, gives him sponsorship money, and it increases his brand and his prestige and everything he's been playing for. And to further the point, so many of these golfers have come up through a, a tough route. I mean, it is not glamorous to make it to the PGA Tour for most golfers. So, like, the Jordan Spieths of the world are pretty rare, actually. And so most of them have come up through some real trials. And it's a tough life of traveling around the world, paying your own way, living in crummy hotels. And then the last piece for me is that there are no contracts in golf, really. Mm. And so if you have an off day or if you kind of, like, just to overlook uh, something nuanced or specific that you should be paying attention to, it carries a lot more weight than it might for an athlete that is under contract, uh, and not only that, a multi-year contract, hmm. but uh, I look at someone like Hunter Mahan as a good example of this. Of uh, He was a top five player in the world for 10 years uh, in his struggling to make cuts now and I think last year made like a hundred thousand dollars which is of course a lot of money but compared to someone that at once made 20 million dollars a year playing Mm -hmm. golf it's it's not a guarantee it can go away pretty quickly
0: well that's where I come down not on the players with this I like I think it's you know it's the same in all the sports like if you've got a rule and so like you know the I think of James Harden as the NBA example right he's this hugely polarizing figure because he seems to take advantage of the rules in a way that a lot of folks don't enjoy from an entertainment perspective and a lot of folks players don't enjoy from uh a, a player perspective and so and yet he's got every right to do that because he's doing what's in the and the rules and how the rules are adjudicated and so it's not j b Holmes's fault that he's taking this long it's the fact that the pga tour is allowing him to do that and so that's where it comes down to i think it's got to be we've got to put our anger and frustration on the pga tour the governing body to fix it because the players are always going to do whatever is legal and gives right. them the most advantage right
1: yeah and that's made or that a pl- athlete that that does that is turned into a villain is a pattern and theme of sports isn't it it's mm-hmm. always fascinating to see that whoever maxes out the rules is is seen as kind of conniving it's like well i don't know they're following the rules but i also am guilty of that of like hating on a player that's like that Um, what's
0: always so interesting you know like uh, steph for example has made millions out of his nba career but i think that he has made himself so valuable as an entertainer that he will make millions off the court as well right and so there's this question for jb holmes like he's going to make his money on the course but like what what uh, advertising revenue, or what sponsorship revenue are you risking by being that annoying player on right. the board? Yeah,
1: and that brings up two other things for me. Of uh, <laughs> one is that I think, in addition to simply following the rules, or at least not. Uh, being forced to follow a rule like J.B. Holmes was is that J.B. Holmes wasn't the only one out there doing that mm-hmm. There were probably 50 other golfers in the field that were doing that But they just weren't on television because they didn't play as well And so it's kind of only when it's in the spotlight that we seem to care about it secondly, I, I Maybe to transition a little bit is okay Let's say PJ Tour gets it down to where they're playing four-hour rounds there is no way all of a sudden there's going to be a bunch of 35-year-old millennials watching.
0: No. Like,
1: like, that that is not what's going to bring in a new crowd. It's like, oh, did you hear golf's only four-hour rounds now? We should all get together on Sunday and watch the final round. That is not going to happen. No, Coffee shops are not going to start playing the Masters.
0: Right? That's That's so true. I mean, it's beyond, like... I just can't imagine someone that's like, what am I gonna do with my Sunday afternoon? Like the reason that I'm not gonna watch golf is because <laughs> it takes too long to watch golf. No. Right. I mean like right. to be like I really enjoy the fact that soccer is contained to a particular amount of time. But right. like that's not why I watch soccer. Like right. it could be a really boring two hours and I wouldn't watch it. Right. Right. And so
1: in the pursuit of a different viewership, it kind of raises that socioeconomic question, too, of golf and sports in general. Mm. And I feel like that story that both of us got hooked on this week uh, comes uh, into play here, and that being the slum golf in India. Mm. Uh, yeah. What did you find interesting about that?
0: Well, A, my first reaction is, man, that would be so annoying if I lived in that house and there were golf balls hitting my house. In right. the slum, but uh, my second reaction was I just love the fact that these folks have taken a game and democratized it and made it right. their their own way of doing it, and it doesn't have to be the same way. And I think the same way about you know speed golf, you know mm-hmm. twenty twenty cricket. There are all kinds of ways that people have democratized games to make them better. Right. Um, so yeah, I I loved it. Just loved that article. Yeah, and it it
1: paired. Uh, my interest with the round that Wesley Bryan played last year, or maybe it was two years ago. I don't know if you remember this, but Wesley Bryan was first off in one of the last tournaments of the season, and he knew he wasn't going to make it into the FedEx Cup. Hmm. And uh, it was an odd number in the field, so he was playing by himself. And he played 18 holes in an hour and a half and shot 69, (laughs) uh, which was like the fourth lowest round of the day. It was really tough conditions. And of (laughs) what – okay, let's – If we truly are going to pursue a more democratized version of golf and if we truly are going to pursue introducing the game to clientele that has previously been kept from it because it is such an elitist sport, let's look at that round and let's look at slum golf and start asking different questions because i I don't know if it's like going from five-and-a-half to five-hour rounds that's the right question to be asking or penalizing J.B. Holmes is the right question to be asking. And so it says something, I think, about uh, the power that those entities have that even get to decide what questions we ask.
0: That's very true. And I think about, um, you know, uh, how many different sports have got variations on their sport at this point so cricket is the you know the chief example in some ways that they've got this long form game that they've kept the same in terms of test cricket but then they've also got you know five different other forms you can do it in and i'm intrigued that right. ch- chess has done the same thing and it's been very successful and right. it's, uh, i think what you found is that by doing that um test cricket has become more popular because there's these other forms of cricket out there now and i wonder if golf wouldn't benefit from finding some bastardized version and they can keep their like pure version of you know the best golf take as much time as you need um but also say we're going to have these other forms that are going to get people jazzed and then when they're jazzed we introduce them to the classical form of the game right type thing um right. and i just it's one of those things though where i don't know that the pga tour is ever going to be creative enough or face the pressure from advertisers enough to get to that point because uh it's very much that old white man's club
1: yeah if there's a group that never wants to rock any boats it's the pga tour they they love their club
0: I mean, there are people that still hate the freaking Shot Tracker, which I think is the best thing to happen to golf in the past five years. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It's so much more enjoyable. Even though I hate Fox, I have to give them a little bit of credit here for pushing that on to the other networks of having to catch up. But I would love for Fox to go away in all its forms, but <laughs> they they do deserve a little bit of credit of bringing that in. <laughs> Oh my!
0: Well, the the big question that this has left me with, in some ways, uh, I think is beyond just this golf question. Is this question about st- the sustainability of sports? And so, you know, I think we saw NASCAR as an example that's hit a huge high, and now they're kind of just holding on at this point. It's no longer what it was, and I'm okay. wondering if we're going to see that with golf, and what that's going to mean for other, uh, you know sports in terms of the ebb and flow, but also just the sustainability of these massive structures that we've built to support them.
1: It makes me think of Tiger Woods. And I don't know what the version of Tiger Woods was in NASCAR, but I would be interested in reading a book about the macro trends and patterns in Hmm. sports to the sustainability question. but. The reason they're playing, as you mentioned, the reason they're spending more time on a putt is because the putt is worth more money now. And the reason it's worth more money is because of Tiger Woods. And so I, I, and I, I think it's probably pretty rare, actually, to have such a standout individual that there's probably only been a couple other people that you can put on that list that have had such a significant impact on every single aspect of the sport and the game mm-hmm. and the sponsorship. I mean, every aspect. It's The Tiger Woods effect is a very real thing. And so what happens when there's not a Tiger Woods?
0: Well, there also is this question. I had a conversation with a guy this week about NASCAR, which is why it keeps popping to mind in terms of I told him that I thought when all the money came into NASCAR, all of a sudden all of the like weird characters went out and all you got all of these polished young folks coming in. Uh, and I wonder if you're seeing the same in all other sports that when you get the more money in, then there's more at stake. And so you play a more polished game and you don't have the weirdos and the angry folks and things like that. And so then you lose some of what made it interesting to begin with. And you go back into a, A slump so to speak once you become super popular exactly
1: yeah Hmm. gosh i haven't watched a nascar race in years
0: i haven't either apparently i was blown away this guy i was talking to he does their own nascar podcast and he was down at daytona for that uh the 500 this past weekend i was like man how did i miss there was a time i never would have missed that the daytona 500 had happened yeah same yeah
1: yeah, there was a time where I knew 25 drivers. I, I I could guess at a couple names now. I wouldn't even be sure if they're still driving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is one other point, and we don't have to go too much into it now, and maybe it would be kind of a cool thing to put on a shelf and say, we'll come back to it more later. But I was struck, too, by this issue um, in regards to what it says about anxiety in sports. Mm. And how we talk about and negotiate uh, our relationship with anxiety as a culture, and how this truly is seemingly an opportunity to discuss uh, how how we go about constructing our understanding of anxiety, because I, it's also where I have a lot of empathy for the players, of uh, and Anya Alvarez did well to mention. I think I like appreciated so much how she articulated is that she was. Docked as a slow player when she was playing, but she chalked it up to anxiety as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's so close by when you're saying, okay, they're playing for more money. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means they're probably experiencing anxiety at a level that maybe players haven't before. And so that's too where I'm willing to say like, okay, let's get better at talking about that. In addition to saying, I'll just dock him a a, a stroke. And it's like, well, what if they're like. Experiencing an anxiety attack. How do we want to have that conversation?
0: Well, yeah, and I think that goes even bigger into the mental health question in sports altogether, that the amount of pressure we put on these athletes, is it how does anybody stay as a healthy individual in that space? Um, Right. And whether it's anxiety or depression or, you know, all kinds of situations, addiction to different things, it, it seems to lead to a lot of unhealthy outcomes and what can we do and how have people mitigated that situation is one that i would love to spend more time on
1: yeah and it seems like the vernacular especially in golf has always been tied to toxic masculinity mm. of like it's all about who can toughen up today and like push through and it's like hold up <laughs> that is a pretty cheap understanding of how anxiety works thanks to johnny miller
0: it's also like if I wanted to get in a fight with an athlete from one professional tour or one professional uh, institution, it would be a golfer, uh, to be clear here. Fair enough, fair enough. This is not the toughest of sports, okay? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's raining, and I have to go practice today. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, I
1: love hating on golfers for being wimps. <laughs> well well what are you paying attention to this coming
0: week so i'm really intrigued um you know we're getting to the crunch time for both college and nba basketball and the lakers are just a disaster right now and you know i'm not a huge lebron fan i have questions about his leadership for a long time but this is Um, perhaps the biggest leadership challenge he's ever faced and his body language has looked terrible. Um, And he's been playing really bad defense, which he doesn't seem to be being held accountable for. Uh, And so I'm just really intrigued to see how this question of his leadership goes over the next week, two weeks, three weeks, because he did some pretty poor leadership around the trade deadline in terms of throwing his whole team under the bus to try and get A.D., now he's trying to rebuild, but I don't know that he can do it. And he's the way he's done it thus far doesn't seem particularly promising. So uh, I'm just uh, I'm intrigued to follow that train. And I know I'm buying into ESPN's narrative here, um, but I just don't care what Stephen A. Smith has. I'm going to listen to Jalen Rose and move on. Right. I love Jalen. He's so great. <laughs> he is amazing.
1: I can't help but think that LeBron is transitioning to the next phase of his career, and I can't help but think that he is almost over basketball, the actual playing of it. I I just can't. I mean, that looking at those statistics of how many minutes he's played as compared to so many other players, and you think the fact that he's done it under the the largest and most encompassing spotlight uh, since Michael Jordan. I just can't help but think that he's somewhat over the actual basketball of it. And I guess my evidence is his reaching out into communities, but also reaching out into so many other businesses. He's already having conversations about owning a franchise. But what player has ever done that before while they're playing? Uh, and so I can't help but think that a lot of this might be a symptom of just kind of being over it.
0: Although I don't, I think I would frame it differently in my mind. I don't think he's over it as much as he wants to keep adding more things on top. And as we often see when you try and add more things on top, something slips. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if he may not want to make basketball in the backseat, but it's going to have to be for him to do the other things that he wants to do. And it's going to be really frustrating for him not to be able to keep up with basketball in the same way that he's always been able to, which I think is always a frustrating thing. I mean, I don't know if his being bad on defense is an effort thing or he just can't do it anymore. And so that raises all these questions about, like, what happens when athletes, when they can't perform the way they've always been able to or the way they want to. Uh, I think that's so difficult.
1: And I also think he only cares about the playoffs.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, they got to make the playoffs. At the I moment, know, I, they're I, I, less than 5% odds that they're going to make the playoffs. So,
1: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: Uh, anyway, what are you thinking about this week?
1: Well, my uh, alma mater, Samford, plays Florida State in softball today at 1230. Hmm. And um, I really... Do think I'm gonna tune into a little bit of the game, uh, partly because uh a lot of folks are saying that this Florida State softball team is one of the greatest teams ever. Hmm. And I think it is indicative of how the sport has grown. And I get the impression and I have no statistics or data or anything. It's basically just my having kind of just peripherally peripherally played it paid attention to softball over the last several years. But there is an expertise at the college level that looks no different than professional. Hmm. The, the expertise that these players are coming to college with, uh, in the actual gameplay and then just, um, understanding how to be part of a uh, ball club and the way they present themselves and the way they play the sport is so finely tuned and it's exceptional and it's really, really fun to watch for me. And so I, I don't know. I, I, in making the point to say that i was really excited that softball season got started last week and i'm looking forward to paying attention to this florida state team so i'll probably check in on that game today
0: very cool well you'll have to be our uh, our softball update throughout the year because i have not been following it although i do find it compelling every time it comes on yeah um,
1: it's really fun to watch and talk about speed of play They've yeah. got the speed of play thing down. They crush baseball in that.
0: Well, I also, this tangential point here I want to raise, which is I hope that the NBA never puts another WNBA player in their freaking celebrity game. It's embarrassing, folks, that that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Fair point. <laughs> um. Yes. So, very good. Cool. Great. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today. Give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. And we appreciate uh, your subscription. And thank you, Kyle. And we'll see you next week, man. All right. And see you later, man.